0: If and when PJ joins, we'll stop and then hit record again
1: because it'll mess. Yeah, players can uh, can go without water and food for full squash matches, but PJ can't survive a drive home from Birmingham to be here on time. PJ's Ramadan is his driving. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's pretty good. You ready? Oh,
1: wait a minute! Oh, 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 busted! Just
0: busted. <laughs> busted! Hang on. I hope you
1: didn't hear that first five minutes. <laughs>
2: Packing. come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know.
0: What about this? This call is being recorded. Fans, we are back for another edition of the Roundup, catching up in weekly headlines, news, and results from the professional tour. And this was a big one, not much going on. In terms of like many of events, but this was a huge event. Some say the most prestigious event
1: ever, Bill. Absolutely, the most prestigious event ever, as as told by um, by P. Obviously, it must be because PJ, our, our co-host, who was there and has promised to give us color on the most prestigious event in the world, um, texted us this morning and said he's tired. PJ's tired. He's prestiged so out, he- man. I mean... <laughs> He, he may jump on. He said, "If he says, I think what is his? What was his quote? shattered.
0: He shattered. Yeah, uh, but I think there was also I may grace you with our with my presence. Was that?
1: Yeah, yeah. I thought I, I like it's. It's sad when we've come to this. Oh wait a minute! Oh, busted! Just busted. <laughs> busted! Hang on. I hope you didn't hear that first five minutes. <laughs> PJ, cool. you look great by the way. You look fully refreshed. What
2: is all this shattered, talk? What is,
1: what is shattered? I'm shattered. You don't look shattered. You look better than you are. And you have a collared shirt on to boot,
2: to boot. I know. I literally just came from the uh, the golf club, actually. I went down to have a little bit of lunch. I explained the scene to you previously. It's a little bit of lunch. Sun's out here. It's uh, Spring's finally upon us in the, in London. And I thought I'd make the most of it. Pop down to the, uh, the golf club and, and spend a bit of time. Trying to get some vitamin D into the system because I've been cooped up in the rep theater in Birmingham for the last uh, eight days. So
1: I, I'm out for today, boys, I'm afraid, just back from Birmingham, and I'm absolutely shattered. And now you're telling me you're out playing golf? I feel you like laying in
2: bed. I was just practicing, just practicing. I, I, okay. I don't think I would have it in me to actually swing the golf club fully. But uh, So putting was about all I could muster up. We
1: appreciate you making this uh, Her- Herculean effort to, yeah. to join us to talk you're, about PJ. Because w-
2: I wouldn't do it for anybody else, just so you know. I appreciate
1: it. All right, Connor, very special. <laughs> um, so, might as well do, we've already done the welcome, so might as well just go forward, Connor. And we'll just uh, we'll we'll paste it all together. Correct?
0: Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, should we uh, we know what
1: PJ's week was like, but we are getting more color. But Bill, how was your week? I just, I've just been watching the British Open, waiting for PJ to. Uh, <laughs> I, I have been looking forward to this episode because we took last week off, right? Because it's spring right. break, it was April April break, so we took a little time to refresh. Connor and I had a step back. We were, you know, we had a little little doo 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 about the latest episode before that. Um, oh,
2: would you? So can you little... can you elaborate on that or not really? Yeah, for sure. I, oh, okay.
1: I'm I, I, I'm an open book, you know that, PJ. Yes. So, and I understand a, a lot of it's my my issue. As you pointed <laughs> out, I have so much. PJ said to me, it "Seems like you have a lot of grudges against a lot of people." Like, <laughs> it, it, at some point, it may be my fault. Um, but yeah. So, Connor, um, after the the episode, I went through as I typically do and edit it, and I go through it with a fine tooth comb and edit it, and usually keep save my favorite stuff that makes me sound really good. Cut out you guys, mm-hmm. basically. You know, yeah. tilt it make yeah. make me look like I'm the star of the show. No, we we so. no we, we know how
2: it goes down, but we, We're well aware of the kind of the the, the format that you've got. Yeah, okay, it's quite obvious.
1: So I did that. I did that, and then Connor uh, said episodes out. Like he sends me a little text when it gets released, and so I went and I was the first thing I do is listen to it. I usually go into the car actually and go for a little drive around the block and listen to it, trying to trying to react reenact how other people listen to podcasts right yeah. during their commute. Yeah. Um, and I'm listening to it. I'm like huh, that's weird. I cut that out. Connor must've missed that. And then I listened a little farther and it said, wow, I cut that out too. Connor must've missed that. Then I started fast forwarding like a little bit through like, like where I knew that I cut it out, like big swaths. And it was all in there. Like it was all in there. He didn't cut anything out. He left all my edits in. And so I was furious. To say I was furious, Connor, would you say I was furious? You know, it's hard for me to gauge um,
0: <laughs> like the way that you come at people for cheese as well as like, you know, this. Um, so it was definitely I could tell you were upset. That was clear.
1: OK, so here is. Um, here is. Here is my text to Connor, we'll read it just so you and then we'll go on to the British Open, PJ, because we know you, you, you're you shattered and you only have a few minutes. Um, <laughs> <as> you, <laughs> I said yeah. definitely need to edit tighter in the future. Very sloppy sounding. A lot that I cut out for better or worse was left in. Connor, anything particular? I said still yes listening, but yes. <laughs> then I said, I said nothing. We can do with this episode, but in the future, if time permits, we need to go over in detail. Then I, after listening to a little more, I texted back, "Can we take this down and re-edit?" <laughs> yeah, I,
0: re- I remember. I remember the words. Uh, this is unlistenable. Um, coming
1: right. coming uh, out. Uh, uh, Yes, and then Connor called me, and we had a little bit of a Connor, Connor. I know when Connor's mad at me, he'll use my first name a lot. He'll say, "Bill, listen to yourself, Bill, Bill, Bill." That's good. So you said Bill like twenty times right. in a phone call. So, and then we didn't speak to each other for almost a full week.
2: Wow, wow, yeah,
1: never, no contact, no anything. I thought Maybe the relationship just complete, uh, was completely radio silence. Was
2: that, that was initiated by you, I assume. You were just kind of you were just waiting to hear from Connor, wait, because you thought he was yeah. in the wrong. <laughs>
1: Yes, yeah, 100%. Yeah, 100% yeah, the yeah.
2: case. So it's good. That. So we're back. So we're back. The good so, thing with you, Bill, is you don't hold the grudge.
1: I don't hold the <laughs> grudge. Yeah. I don't. Hey, it's our it's our listeners who suffer, and that's who I really, that's who I work for. I work for our listeners. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, you're, all hot, Con- you're all hot. You're all
2: hot.
1: Connor, how was your week? How was your week off after, besides maybe in retrospect, thinking about maybe, maybe just listen to Bill a little more.
0: Sure. Um, my, my week was extremely busy. Um uh, like out every night um and um <clears throat> but it was fun it was, it was good times and uh, this weekend i'm booking a three-day fast for myself to help counterbalance everything so three really? day, your personal uh-huh. well wow, why, th-
2: wow. why three days
0: uh, It's just it's just like a, a good amount uh goffy does these once a quarter so he kind of inspired me to get them done and oh. um yeah so no no wow. food i uh, just have bone broth and that's it for three days can
2: you but you can can you can have tea uh, you can have coffee obviously water yeah
0: yeah Right. tea tea, coffee water yeah
2: and 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 within those three days what will your activity levels be like how how much exercise and what how active will you be because that's obviously a a key component because to try and maintain some sort of exercise, you know and during that period is tough some people can do
0: that i i I am not that uh, strong I try and really just low key low energy so but it's yeah. it's beneficial. I really see the benefits like right away.
2: in what respect
0: Others. Um, it's a, it totally restarts your your digestive system and you can feel once your body's not um, the first thing it will fight if there's inflammation then it goes to digestion and if there's nothing to digest it will start uh, your body will start to repair itself yeah, um, yeah. so I definitely feel all
1: that. I'm going to edit all this out by the way so.
2: <laughs> oh. So do, do you um are you are you into the whole autophagy uh fad that uh, is the big is been one of the big crazies of late.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean it's all kind of connected to that
1: that yeah, stuff it really what what is that explain explain that to me autophagy
2: autophagy is basically like kind of saying there you, you your body works in a cycle you cut you eat within an eight hour period and then you fast for 16 hours and oh. when, once you get into once you get into that 16 hour phase that's when the body then it's almost like decluttering your refrigerator and just chucking out all the old food the dead food and then the cells will start to regenerate
1: yeah Oh, so it's like, it's like intermittent fasting. That's
2: exactly what it is. Yeah. The, pra- okay. the
0: practice yeah. is intermittent fasting. The, res- um, the benefit is what PJ said.
1: He says it better oh, than I did. Got it. Yeah. I got it. Cause I, I intermitted fasted for almost a year. I did no, no breakfast. I basically finished eating at, um, uh, I wouldn't start eating till noon and then I would eat for, uh, till eight o'clock at night and then not eat again till the following yeah. noon. I did it. I did it for almost a year. I lost like six pounds. I missed what what it did. It made me appreciate bagels more. You now <laughs> I, I have bagels. almost. I've made up for it by having bagels almost every day since for breakfast. It's counterbalance. So, yeah. <laughs> counterbalance. So Connor, uh, well, good for you, Connor. Yeah. Uh, you, look, you look healthy. You look good. Maybe part of it's repenting too. Is this like AA, like a 12-step thing where maybe you'll maybe you know ask forgiveness of those you, you have wronged? No, I feel pretty good about every decision I make. <laughs> all right. All right. But mo- most importantly,
0: let's get to the show where it's all about the British Open. And PJ, you were front and center. I got And I got a question to ask you. With like a big event like this, being on home soil, the British Open, does it feel different to you than any other event? Like I, I I know when like the TOC is going on, We need City Open, like the tour just feels slightly different to me. Like yep. I tune in more and pay more attention. So I wonder what it's like for you.
2: Um for the for the big the major events, your world championships, your British Opens, your Tournament of Champions, US Opens, to be honest, from a commentary standpoint, a lot of that feels quite similar just because of where you're located. Um A lot of the team that we work with are all the same. The director's the same. The sound engineer's the same. The personnel are all pretty much the same team that will go from event to event. So in that respect, it does feel um, very familiar. However, there's just something about a British squash crowd. And their knowledge of the game for me just feels slightly better and more respectful than a lot of the other crowds that we uh, will go around and see around the rest of the tour i mean tournament of champions is pretty good um us opens decent but there's if you look at birmingham as a where it's located geographically it's in the it's right in the heart of the country so it draws in from all four corners of the uh, of, of England really and it's very accessible so you're getting a lot of you know, uh, die-hard squash fans who would have traveled to Hull they would have traveled to London but it it just brings in I would say even even more diversity and more fans that may not have wanted to I mean Hull was a fantastic I mean the, the British Open when it went up to Hull it saved our tour our tournament mm-hmm. really in 2010 yeah. 2011 it was a We we never had a British Open. So Dr. Alam and his family did an amazing job of kind of saving that the you know, the prestigious event. But with it now being in Birmingham, I just feel that the crowds from day one were it was pretty much packed out. Semifinals, quarterfinals, semifinals and finals were all were all sellouts. So from a commentary standpoint there we get to um, get a better sense of that atmosphere more so than you know your your tournament of champions or your your worlds and also if you look at some of the events in egypt not to not to talk bad or ill of egypt but the crowds there are very biased i feel you get a lot of uh, cheering and clapping when a stroke decision is given they're very pro for their own players which is great i i I, you know we want to see some of that but with the British crowd there will also be an appreciation of good squash from both parties and mm-hmm. that, for, that for me and if you heard a lot of the players being interviewed after their matches they're aware of that and and i think they enjoy playing in that environment where you've got a very busy very packed very knowledgeable very appreciative crowd and that's something that you definitely feel with events in the uk canary wharf is similar with that intimate environment that you get there and and up at the, this british open that we just had up in Birmingham was exactly the same. So, yes, there is a very different feel from that atmospheric standpoint, but as far as just from, a, you know, your work standpoint, then there's a lot of similarities
1: the atmosphere looked unreal. The, the venue, the, the theater looked unreal. I always thought doing it in a Broadway theater would be incredible. Uh, a Broadway style theater would be incredible. The, the, only, the only thing that threw me was a little bit was those stairs, those, that entrance was incredible, but yeah. man, in the dark, having those players come down the stairs, I was, yeah. I was waiting, accident waiting to happen. I was absolutely waiting for someone to spill. Yeah,
2: I yeah. agree. It, it was, it was um, there was a few hairy moments. You could just, you know, you could see the players just as they're warming up, getting ready to come down and, and, Actually, we had to go up and down those days, and they're very narrow steps as well. They're not; they weren't too uh-huh. spread yeah. out. So, you know, it's one slightly mistimed step, and uh, and you you'd have been you'd have been toast. Should we
1: change that to a slide next year? or Is that so? Actually, there was an actual squash tournament that took place, by the way, with all that atmosphere. Um, and kind of a, a throwback. Um, we have uh, Ali Farag and Nor El Sherbini, uh, coming. Our predictions. Um, as, as usual, so off. We're, Wait a minute. To, to, we'll, we'll get into this afterwards. Well, you know what? Before we get into that, let's just say I predicted Tomato Ho would win the, ch- the championship. And she won two matches in a row. Then they had her play a third day against El Arabi. Just unfair. Like unfair. Stacked. The, the deck was stacked against it. I've already sent in my letter of complaint to Beachill and to Goff saying, who's scheduling these tournaments? It's a joke. Um, you, can't, you can't have Tomato Ho playing three straight matches. Just it's unfair. But that being said, it, it did open the door. The ho exit did open the door for Noor el to win her fourth British Open Championship on the women's side. Um, just, just, it, just an, every time you think Noor el is done, like every time people are like, eh, she's a l- little bit older, 26, 27. Oh. Um, uh, Hamami's really the future of the sport. Gohar is the Terminator. She's impossible. She's never going to lose in a big match. <laughs> Sherbini comes out and wins her fourth. British Open. PJ, just uh, just incredible stuff. She's, she never ceases to amaze.
2: It was one of those where I was so torn in, in both finals. I was so torn between who I felt was going to come out on top because if you looked at the level of squash that Shabini and Gohar had played up until the point of the final, you would have always, any kind of betting man with or woman with any sense would have backed Noron Gohar. she as she does, she sliced away way through the draw, hadn't dropped a game up until the finals, yep. was making such light work of her opponents. And on contrast to that, El Shabini had, had, I think, was it two five-setters? Two fives, two five-setters. Two five-setters, exactly setters, against,
1: yeah. against Sobey, yeah, ab-
2: absolutely. And G- yes, Gina yeah. Kennedy, yeah. Gina Kennedy and yep. Amanda Sobi. So lead, leading into that final, You just would have felt that, and also her movement wasn't looking particularly fluid. It's an area that she's been working on in her game. And it just looked the speed and the pace that Gohar was playing and the way that Shabini was playing, you just felt that it was going to be a a one horse race. However, when you look at the head to heads, 17 7 in favour of El Shabini. In those 24 matches, nine are in finals. And in those 12, sorry, 12 are in finals. So 50% of those 24 matches were in finals. Nine of those 12 finals went in the way of Shabini. So she she obviously knows how to play the, the big events. And she, as we, as we saw again, she does something to Gohar's game that completely breaks down and upsets the rhythm, the rhythm. Yeah. that Gohar likes to play in. Nobody else was able to do that in that particular week. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you
0: think Quite. do you think that it does a disadvantage to a player like Noron who basically wasn't as tested now, partly because her dominance was so so strong and the player matchups, you know, just how the draws shake out. But do you think that that does a disservice to uh, someone like Gohar who who doesn't get tested?
2: It's it's a, a really good question. I'm not so sure it would affect. Gohar too much. I mean, she's worked very closely now with Rod Martin for a couple of years, and I know that Rodney would have, even in Gohar's early matches, tried to get Noron to practice things in some of those slightly easier matches that she was going to have to try and implement in her game against El Shabini. However, there's no substitute for, for the real thing. I thought tactically... Tactically, no, uh, Noron Gohar—they got it wrong. Um, El Shabini just completely broke up the pace. Noron's—if you looked at Noron Gohar's T position and how far back she was in the court Shabini's tactical nous and her her court sense would have just—and you saw it. She just started to fire the balls into the front of the court, that left Noron Gohar so far back. And every time she went in short, Goha was nowhere near it. So I don't really think any of the, the matches that Goha did that same kind of thing to her that, that Shabini did in the final. But I'm not so sure it would have made a difference had she been tested a little mm-hmm. bit more going into that. I just feel kind of it's certain players have certain other players number, and, and Shabini, she just knows how to play Noron, she, it, it, she's comfortable with the style, the, the pace that Gohar plays at is a very high pace, but it's always the same pace, and as anybody that's ever played, once you get over the initial shock of just how, big, how quickly the ball's coming onto you and how quickly the opponent's hitting it, if it's always the same, then you, it's, it's quite easy to adapt. The players that are harder are the players that mix those paces up, the heights, and twist and turn, which is exactly what Shibini did to Gohar and, and, and upset that rhythm.
1: Didn't last last year Hamami uh, came in after playing tough matches into the final, and Gohar had cruised again, and it's it was kind of deja vu uh, all all over again. Um, saying that Gohar to to answer, to kind of lend a little bit of credence to Connor's uh observation, um, Gohar what wasn't sharp i mean she wasn't sharp and, and and not to mention i mean the whole match changed right shirbini seven seven in the second uh rolls her ankle yeah and like uh, look I, I was like uh-oh yeah she's yeah. gone it could, it could be anything thankfully dr dr laura massaro knew right away saying um that uh that her ankle was fine because she didn't see any swelling um the only the only additive that Marsaro added to that broadcast, by the way, wh- where was Lisa Aitken it- during that final? Did she have to fly home or something? Lisa
2: came in for the first two days, and then Laura came in okay. um, later on. Yeah,
1: well, could we t- could we change that going forward? No, no, no anti Marsaro uh, slander here, but. Um, she, she talk about not adding anything to the broadcast. Yes. But either way, that's when um, when Chirbini, uh when Cherbini came back after uh, at seven seven after Rolling Air. She she was I don't know what what Derek did to her, <laughs> but holy cow, she was a different player. She came in and just started firing winner after winner after winner and just steamrolled from there. Right?
2: I mean, sometimes those kind of injuries, uh, it, it's almost the the initial shock. You fear it's worse than it actually is. Derek came on probably reassured Shabini very quickly that it was nothing of any significance that she should worry about. Um, he tested it with a few certain movements that if they had been more painful, then they, it could have been more problematic. But she settled down quite quickly. And then sometimes an issue like that can actually, you know, zone you in even more and focus on your game plan. And that's what she did from that point in. And it was pretty one-sided, really. Um and it was it was, a, it was a bit of a schooling for, for Goha. And if you go back to the uh, the British Open last year, Connor, you're 100% right. Hamami was the heavy kind of underdog going into that. Goha did what she did this year. She sliced her way through and she was looking supreme. Going into that final, Hamami had had a couple of toughies. But again, Hamami has a similar style to Shabini, whereas they can mix up and break up gohar's intensity levels and both of those players have mm-hmm. pretty good success against gohar for that very reason because they both have a a similar style
1: and they both play when they play each other it's epic yeah. so when when hamami when hamami plays el shirbini it is always an epic clash yeah.
2: this is why it makes such a difference i feel in the ladies draw when or who's one two and three seeds because whoever's the number one seed is gets a little bit of a slightly favorable uh, quarterfinal, semifinal run through to the final. Whereas at the bottom, Shabini's always going to come up again at the moment, the way the rankings are, she'll always come up against El Hamami. And those two tend to, you know, give each other such a tough test that sometimes if they get into that final, then they are a little bit banged up, but obviously Hamami left, lost uh, to Amanda Sobey in the, uh, in the quarter and, and didn't feature, so.
1: Yeah, speaking of Amanda, I mean, uh, you know, America's number one. Uh, In the end, she's gonna have to, to win one of these majors, she's gonna have to beat the big three back to back to back, right? I mean, does she have that? Does she have that in her artillery to to
2: do that? It's not beyond the realms of possibility. However, the level that those three ladies, Hamami, Gohar and Shabini are playing at right now, I personally feel is, is higher than Amanda's. So for Amanda to try and catch all three of those on a slightly off day, statistically it could happen, but I just feel that, um, it's, it will be a really tall order. It's possible. Yes. But I would say unlikely.
1: Interesting. Uh, what, what just, and just for the, for the fan at home, like who, who watches squash regularly, but doesn't really have the, you know, the knowledge that you do, what's the difference? Like why, why, why can't Amanda beat those three? What What is the difference in their game? Is there one thing or is it a bunch of things? Is it mental?
2: It's definitely not mental because that's one of Amanda Sobi's strong suits. Um, her ability to also push herself physically on the court. If you look at just the way Gohar moves around the court and also El Hamami. El Hamami, in my opinion, is the best mover in the ladies game right now. Her court coverage into the front two corners is about as good as I've ever seen, really. Nicole David was was terrific as well, but she wasn't powerful like a um, go Gohar's intensity levels, she can maintain her endurance, her energy is just that little bit better than Amanda's, I would say. Um, Amanda's Amanda's strong suit really is her natural strength and her ability to cut the ball off through the middle, and she's very dynamic. On the volleys on both the forehand and backhand sides, tactically very astute. I would just say she she's not quite as blessed uh, physically as the likes of a Hamami and a Gohar, and uh, maybe even a, a Shabini. And then Shabini obviously has that wealth of experience and ability to raise her game um, for those for those big matches. But she, I mean, she's right up there with those three, but just slightly behind in in a few different areas
1: right and to have to beat all three to win a championship i mean put it if she, if she does it it will be monumental i mean that that if she did it in the world championships or at the british or one of the majors it would be mon- a monumental yeah I, monumental a- achievement for sure yeah i think
2: she's got the ability on her day obviously of beating all three of them ind- independently
1: mm-hmm. right exactly but to
2: do it in an event where right. she would have to be all three back to back um Tobacco. Tobacco is, it's not impossible, but it's, uh, it would be very tough. Be very tough. Tomato
1: Ho can't, tomato Ho can't do it. I don't think Amanda could do it. Just me throwing that out
2: there. <laughs> it's, so it's, on, it it the... certainly won't be through lack of trying because the way Amanda trains and applies herself to a her trade is an example for anybody out there in the, you know, both the men's and the women's game. She's completely dedicated to her task and, and it, it certainly, she will leave everything out there and One of the players that we talk about often, who will maximise all of her ability and her her potential from from the the talents and the abilities that she she's been given.
1: Right, seems like she was a big fan favorite out there too. Seeing that there, um, you know, obviously there's Gina Kennedy and Sarah Jane Perry, but um, uh, seemed like Amanda got a lot a lot of the backing from the fans during her. Well,
2: she's very charismatic and she speaks well. After the after the matches, she engages the you know the crowd and. You know, she likes to, she loves the whole social media side of things. And, you know, she's a, she's a real personality and, and the, the fans warm to her. Um.
1: Right. Right. Okay. Well, on, on to the men's um, Ali Farag. Um, obviously the big story all week was, um, well, there are two big stories. There was no Mustafa Asal in this tournament. Uh, Diego Asal, uh, yeah, Diego Elias um, um, after, uh, after Muhammad Al-Sharbagi got beat um, uh, after he beat Muhammad Al-Sharbagi uh, uh Became, it was going to be Diego who was going to be the number one player in the world. Come today, yeah. come Monday, yeah. which is today. And then kind of, kind of forgotten. in all of this is the fact that Ali Farag, uh, one of the, you know, the the greatest players of, <laughs> of the last 10 years coming off an injury, people, he's kind of became an afterthought a little bit. Uh, he comes through and wins his first ever British open uh in, in just fantastic yeah. style. Um, can't say enough about that. It almost like, Almost like he was gearing up for this, right? Like in the previous tournaments where he was kind of just falling short and people were wondering, is his knee injury a factor? Is he really not going to be the same player that he was when he left? And sure enough, uh, it more looks like now that he he was biding his time, getting his game where it needed to be, and he he played fantastic squash this week.
2: What Ali Farah did last week was nothing shy of miraculous, in my opinion. October last year, you're talking six months ago, he had to withdraw from the US Open with a a pretty serious knee injury. And there was a lot of doubts about him ever returning. Um, Even himself was unsure as to whether he would be able to get back to any sort of level. He had to retrain, reprogram his movement, he had to put so much hard work in behind the scenes that obviously n- nobody gets to see. Everybody did, he was kind of under the radar. He was written off a little bit because of his performances coming into the British Open. They, were, they weren't great. He wasn't looking to, he wasn't appearing to be anywhere near his, his former self in some of those tournaments leading into uh, the British Open. That combined with the fact that he was adhering to Ramadan. You could see it in a couple of his matches afterwards that he was close to exhaustion. He could barely speak in some of the interviews. But then to pull out that performance against Diego Elias in the final was a tactical masterclass. And with everything that had been going on around him, not only that particular week, and but within the last six months was it's just an absolute joke I, I just i'm still blown away by the whole thing i don't know many people that could have done what he's done
0: it, yeah yeah i think it showed um i mean i i completely agree with you uh going in i wouldn't have bet on him at all you yeah. know for all the reasons you just outlined like not ready um but this really just showed what a true champion you use every tool kit in your box to mm-hmm. get through it and you know athletically he was certainly back on yeah, you know, on form, but um, his determination and strategy, and um, knowing how to defeat those players, for was just totally on on showcase. Um, yeah,
2: if you if you, Ali's obviously a very he's a very bright boy, very calculated, and it's a little bit like if ever you hear Tiger Woods speak, Ali would not have entered that British Open unless he believed he was capable of winning. And exactly like you've said there, Connor, going into that final, he was 16-3 in the head-to-heads against Elias. Elias beat him by default, really, in that US Open. They played two rallies and then he stopped. You then have to actually go back six years until Elias had beaten Farag. Farag had won the 13 previous meetings before that US Open. So, again, it was a similar situation for me where I just felt that Elias, the shackles were off because he had a, a, a very nervy performance against Cruin in the quarterfinals, I think it was. He was too loved down, Elias. The whole world number one thing just looked as though it was getting the better of him. Managed to somehow dig his way through that. Then puts on the display the way he did against Paul Cole. Absolutely battered Paul Cole. Taught Paul yeah. Cole a bit of a lesson, really. Uh, in that particular match so you're you're thinking going into the final Farags is off his best Elias is uh, he's on fire but then you can't help but look at the history books if you look at those 13 previous occasions where he's beat with the exception of the US Open he's got Farag, he, he's got Elias number and he Farag did to Elias what Shabini did to Gohar, completely took him out of his rhythm. Elias, he all of a sudden he was having to make extreme movements into the front of the court. He was twisted, he was turned. Farag's T position up the court. This is where Farag is underestimated in my opinion. It's very similar to how Jancha Khan used to play. His position is actually in front of the short line. He's taking the ball, not necessarily hitting it hard, but he's applying so much pressure and pace with his movement that Elias was unable to settle
1: and yet and yet the margins of victory are were so small right i mean it wasn't like the gohar sherbini match where sherbini really, really crushed her i mean the margins were so small it came in the first game alias had a game ball yeah. And uh, uh, Farag put on an incredible, at 11-10, just an incredible show of retrieving, uh, including a back wall lunging back wall boast that saved saved a point. Just yep. amazing. And and then Game 3, obviously, was the biggest game. It was 1-1. One, one. Elias came back one game, two. Game 3, at 10-8, there was a very controversial uh, no-let yeah. um for game ball uh, uh, Farag. I mean... <laughs> I'm not I'm not quite sure how it could have been a no let it could have been a stroke really if you looked at it yeah. um we never really saw a really good overhead view of it on the, on the stream but um that was i mean that gave two one and then game game four was a battle back and forth and it was, was 11 11 9 in the in the fourth so it wasn't uh, all of what you're saying is absolutely true but still just the fine fine margins of victory for for farag during this uh you know some key key points of those games but, that led to the
2: victory 100 percent. but again this is where Ali Farag is so clever. He's so tactically astute that if you watch him play, he's aware of the situation within the game, whether it's seven or eight or, and then he will press and push that little bit harder. And then when there's a bit of a cushion, he may just soften off a touch, almost regrouping, getting ready to push and press on again when the situation's required. It's very subtle, but it's very, very clever on his part. So he knew within that match, there would be certain phases where he would be required to be at his best and utilise maximum amount of energy to get through those particular points in those rallies. And and that was exactly what he did at those at, at the required time against against Diego. Now, listen, full full credit to Farag and not to take anything away from the result, but maybe in Elias's mind or in his body the fact that he's had so much success since that US Open, he's won two events this year. I think he won Pittsburgh. He won the Tournament of Champions. He's been reaching later stages of a lot of the events he's been reaching and possibly a bridge too far for him coming into that final. But I still do you feel think that...
0: also, do you also think like that, you know, he, it's one of those things as soon as you um, attain the world number one position, right? Yeah. Like that's a whole different, yeah. Uh, impact. Like you kind of feel like I, I summited the mountain, (laughs) you know, does that, do you think that takes something away from pushing on the gas?
2: I think from an Elias standpoint, I think becoming the world number one will take a little while for him just to get used to. And it, it will be a case of even just at two or three in the world, all eyes are not on you. Now that he's the world number one, I think in his mind, he just really wanted to, especially with all the whole Assal debacle and the, the, everybody feeling that he's he's got there, you know, kind of by default, really, and not not because he's the best player in the world. In Elias's mind, I think he would have really wanted to go out and show everybody and win that tournament just to put all the critics uh, to rest and and show that he he was the best player. <sighs> But now, all of a sudden, when you go onto the world, when you go onto the court and you're world number one, I don't feel that Elias yet has that aura and that presence that maybe a Nassau would have had. Where you, you know, you look at Victor Cruan, got stuck into uh, Elias and was too love up against him. So their approach when they go on against Diego, because they feel he's within their grasps, he it will take him a bit of time to really fill fill into or settle into those those shoes as as the world number one i think in, in, right. in, I mean, an element ever so slight element of doubt in his own mind but that
1: no it's a that's 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 an interesting yeah. point because the last two number ones were i mean paul call yeah. uh knew he was going to be number one one windy city yeah. right uh and then asal knew he was going to be number one and um one one down in houston yeah. So and so, there is there is a little bit just what you say is spot on, but there's also the analytics behind it. And if you look at it, Farag got onto the final with only after only logging only I say 170 minutes, while uh, uh, Elias had logged 246 minutes. So almost a full a full five setter uh, between them. So and and Elias looked a little heavy legged at times. So um, that, 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 that could have been the difference.
2: That's an accumulation of the events leading into that particular week, Bill, hundred percent, but. Again, you look at Elias's run through. He had a he had a really tough on the traditional courts match against John Macon. He had a four-game match up right. against John Macon. John Macon's obviously playing some of the best squash of his career, and on those particular courts would have been a really really hard first match opponent for him. He's then gone two love down to Croix. so you got the physical aspect and then the mental aspect of that he's put performance in against Paul Cole. I think it, the games that he won was something like 11-3 11-4 11-1 he lost the third within that but it was almost a bit of a rest day rest day for him but, so then he's gone into the final with the reservoir of energy uh, was by far you know more it was more depleted you could say than Ali Farags who you know. Right, right. Who, who was... Well,
1: player, players aren't as fit now as they were back in Jahangir Khan's <laughs> days. I mean, come on. We all, we know that, right?
2: Uh, PJ's, no. a li- no PJ's a, PJ's no a, PJ embodies no. that. <laughs>
1: well, well, I just want to talk, I want to talk a little bit about Ramadan actually. So in, in the whole, because that was a, uh, you know, more so than any event, the last time I saw Ramadan featured so heavily in an event, um, and granted, cause we're into squash. So we focused on it was, I remember the Houston Rockets playing, um, in the, um, NBA finals and Hakeem Olajuwon was um, totally was hey uh, <laughs> I know you guys I know you guys I know you guys remember that very very well oh, but he, he was fasting fasting during the uh, the NBA finals so they made a big deal about this with um, Mazen Hesham and with Ali Farag and any of the Muslim players so I you know with Ramadan you're you are allowed if you're traveling to eat during Ramadan it's one of the things. There's a bunch of them. If you're pregnant, if you're breastfeeding, if you're if you're this or you're that. But one of them is you're traveling. It seemed Ali Farag uh, seemed like he took this really uh, went Ramadan. You know, full he went full Ramadan on us. He did not. It according to him, anyways, he did not eat according to uh, uh, during the um, the designated times. Meanwhile, Hesham was eating bananas and things such as that, and and kind of. Uh, Kind of going like maybe not full Ramadan, but you're allowed to do it. So, what do you think, Ali Frog? I mean, I don't want to get into the, 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 the um, <laughs> the, uh, Ali Frog's religious, how, how deeply religious he is, but this is the British Open. He did have a dispensation where he could eat, but he chose not to.
2: I, I think it's a testament to Ali. Um, he's, he puts his religion before his sport, and, and I, I give him the utmost respect for that. Players have their own views on, um, on how strict they want to follow the rules. Some players did, some players didn't. There are exceptions, as you say, where if you do miss certain days within the Ramadan period that you can add it on at the end. That doesn't seem too logical for me. I think if, if you're going to do Ramadan, right. then you have to stick with within the strict guidelines and, and abide by those particular rules. Um, if it was me from a personal standpoint, my religion would come before the sport. There will always be other British Opens, and there are other opportunities to play those tournaments. But if you're going to be very strict and and you want to show your faith, then then I would be doing exactly the same as what Ali did, and the same with I think Tarek Moman, We could see the same thing there. So, but different players have yeah. different a, a different approach to it. Some put the sport first, and others put their religion first, and that's that's their preference. Is that's entirely up to them.
1: I tell you what mental, mental strength is huge. I mean, one thing to do it while the cameras are on you, but behind closed doors to also uh, keep it up. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, it's sitting at my desk. Like I'm not, you know, when I was intermittent fasting, I'd have like some, like loose spree or Tic Tacs in my desk. I would eat them just cause I have like literally no self-control, yeah. but for him to do it during, during a uh, world-class sporting event is absolutely uh, remar- remarkable. Uh, yeah. absolutely I, remarkable.
2: I, I said at the top of the show, what he did there it is, um, it's nothing shy of of, it's it's amazing what what he's achieved if you if you saw the post-match interview if you get a chance to see it after he had just played Tarek, he's Mm -hmm. literally michael absalom has you know thrusted the mic into his face and he's trying to speak and i would be interested to get a doctor's opinion on this because what those players are doing what they're subjecting their bodies to given the fact that there's no fluids or food in their system it could potentially be quite dangerous.
0: This goes to the other like interesting things during the week that I saw. So Timmy Brown now, a 3-2. Does this change your opinion at all, uh, PJ, about what you, <laughs> you think uh, Timmy Brownell's potential is?
2: Um, I, I think it's a great result for squash in the US. I think full testament to everything that's going on down at the center there. It would, would have been a, a, an amazing experience for Timmy to go up against... Uh, Mazen Hisham i i would love to see him back up those kind of performances and hopefully you know eventually take down some some of some of the players of of Mazen Hisham's ilk um also Mazen Hisham as we all know and this is not to take anything away from Tim's result because he played very very well at all parts of the match Mazen can be a little bit unpredictable and a little bit up and down. If Timmy can now start to take some confidence from that particular result and start to beat some of the players around his level and then start to target a few players higher up, then that for me would kind of solidify the fact that he really is up on his way up the ranks, rather than just having a 3-2, again, which is brilliant for him and it's great for, for squash in the US, Harsh reality is he he didn't win, so we yeah. Yeah, we we no, need to, we need to see him up there yes. starting to win some of those matches and beat some of those players, and and start to get some of the results that he um, he deserves because I know he works his absolute tail off so. Yeah. right the, the harsh
1: the harsh realities are that unfortunately and not to take anything away from uh, what he did against mazin is no. that we're, we're talking about a three to two loss in the uh first round or the second round being a, a victory yeah. like for us
2: squash yeah. i mean those yeah. results will come if he continues to put himself into those situations he had a great tournament of champions if he continues to get himself out there and Putting himself up against these, not just the result itself, but the confidence and the experience that Timmy would have gained from playing somebody of Mazen Hisham's quality will only hold him in good stead as he as he starts to push on further in his career. Because the next time it happens, he'll be a little bit more prepared. He'll have some memories to call, you know, fall back on and and prepare himself slightly better in, in future. And and also the belief factor. You know, Mazen Hisham, has got through to the quarterfinals here and, right. and, and Timmy potentially had a chance of, of, of beating him. So, you know, yeah. that, that should give him a lot of, I, a lot I, of confidence.
1: I also think it. uh, It also gives – we we should give us give a little more appreciation. And I'm guilty of this as anyone to um to the Olivias and to Amanda and to Sabrina to to the the uh, the heights they've ascended uh, on the world on the world squash stage. Yeah, it's amazing. Again, we're celebrating a Timmy a Timmy Brownell three two loss. Like it's like it's a world championship. Meanwhile, we have Amanda Sobey in the semifinals of the British Open. So I, I'm I'm as guilty as anyone of it for sure. And when when they're gone, we'll probably look back and say, "Holy shit, what an era that mm-hmm. was!" But uh, <laughs> right now, I think we we almost take it for granted a little bit here in the U.S.
2: Bill, the uh, the the British lionesses are doing the same thing in soccer over here that the <laughs> that the U.S. ladies are doing with squash over there. They're really setting the bar and they're setting an example of what the guys need to start to. Mm-hmm. kind of
0: measure up to. Right. So, um, right, right. So before we jump we, we go ahead, Connor. Well Sorry. the other one was um this was the third round, Diego versus Nathan Lake. Did you guys <laughs> uh did you guys see that little
1: uh of that little
2: pushing, that little tussle? Of course. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
1: The, set the boards on fi- set the squash boards on fire there was a lot of um anytime Diego Elias sneezed it was there was a lot of what if a Saul had sneezed like that yeah what well, what would people say so so for anyone that didn't see this but this is basically
0: um I forget which it was like first or second game I think second game Second game. uh
2: second game yeah.
0: Think nine, eight, yeah yeah and it was Nathan was playing really well um you know close points close match and uh, going into the back left hand corner um Diego was trying uh, trying to get to the ball and kind of um they kind of tripped over each other but then at the last minute pushed him into the glass which was uh, felt like an unnecessary and over aggressive and then Nathan <laughs> um wasn't quite sure what was going on got back up and and then kind of pushed uh, Diego back saying what are you doing uh and I I I wasn't sure if a fight was going to break out. Of course, this is squash world, so it wouldn't have been much of a fight, but it would have been a fight. So that was that's the scene for anyone that didn't see it. Yeah, it was.
1: It was. It was. I mean, it reminded me. What was it? Uh, is it Ricketts against Power? Right? Mm-hmm. That, the, the, oh, it was, yeah. It was. It was, it was. reminiscent. Re, reminiscent of that. Granted, I would. I would think I would take um, Nathan Lake in a minute. Nathan Lake's like a rock, so I would be. Uh, <laughs> I'm going. I would be. I, if I were Diego, I would have been like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Sorry, Nathan. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, other things off the court. Um, so, uh, of all, so Trabini, obviously legend, maybe the greatest player in women's history, Ali Farag putting on a performance uh, that will be talked about, especially if you you know the backdrop of Ramadan. But I would say the MVP, and believe me, it pains me to say it um, because, I mean, because I, I am who I am, but um, Michael Absalom put on a performance, I mean, I, I I have always been like, hey, Michael Absalom, he's, you know, it's mostly jealousy. It's 100% jealousy, <laughs> who are we kidding? Um, I always said he he is a showman and he is uh, pre- is one of is if not the best presenter but he doesn't really know his squash right that was always the uh the um the hit against him mostly me giving the yeah. Hit against him <laughs> so your <asked> hit. Pretty, <laughs> yeah pre- ask pretty generic questions doesn't seem like he's a fan of the sport uh he took this British open by the throat and he put on a most valuable MC performance from the from the beginning number one dressed well. He didn't he didn't wear his jeans and his flip flops and have his hair down and was, you know, his facial hair all over the place. He, he looked clean and shorn. He like he was ready for this event. And and he was his interviews were excellent. The way he got the crowd enthused enthused about the uh, the, the players coming on court was excellent. Um, in the end, though, he quoted Hamlet in the finals. I mean, not just, it was, not I mean, just quoted quoted is that he he performed a monologue. He performed a, a Shakespeare monologue between before the men's and women's final. I mean, I can't even pronounce freaking suburanium's name, and he's quoting Hamlet. Forgot. I, what chance do I have? What chance do I have, Michael Absalom? He, I, hats off to him. It was it was incredible. And his interview with Ali Farag after the men's championship was also one of the best post match interviews I've seen. So, uh, hats off to Michael Absalom. Just a. An A plus performance.
2: It wasn't just for the final where he quoted uh, some Shakespeare. It was for every ra- the first uh, matches of uh, first yeah. a, first introduction of every round. He, uh, yeah, he did exactly yeah, yeah. the same thing. But he's also performed on. He's been on you know, um, children's know. programs when he was younger and that kind of stuff. He actually went to the same school as Joey Barrington. He went to Millfield as a kid. He was a, a decent hockey player. He has actually played some squash previously, so he does have some sort of knowledge of the game. But he's now been around. The tour for oh, best part of four or five years, I would say. So his mm-hmm. familiarity with the players and also his knowledge of the game has dramatically increased. And this was obviously is he, his. I would agree with you. Is his best performance so far? But this is Michael to a T. He's so charismatic, even even yep. outside the court and outside of that arena. He's you know he's full of personality and and, and full of uh, energy. So that venue, that setting for him is tailor made for him to put on his yeah. his show.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, PJ. It makes me feel that's better. Right, I babe. appreciate that. Um, so, just, so la- me, I just
0: heard that he's <laughs> so good you can't compete. Don't worry about it. <laughs> is what I just heard. But
1: that's a hundred percent fair. Lastly, <laughs> lastly, was um, at the finals they had the uh, the squash opera singer and oh. PJ. First time is this the first time at a sporting event that you've heard? god save the king
2: first time that yes. i've been live yes yeah yes. i've heard it uh, yeah. on the tv when uh, england were playing uh football soccer uh, earlier on in the year uh-huh. but actually live in the arena was the first time yeah yeah
1: yeah it was start startling to me i was like right. did, did he make him did he make a mistake i know i know and then i re- then i realized uh wow it was awesome but he yeah he, he was great too so the overall presentation was incredible we had
2: rehearsals at one third finals went live at uh, three o'clock we had rehearsals at one thirty, and uh he was actually practicing his um because he, he did two or three songs um uh, before the national anthem and we were listening to him practice and the acoustics of that arena obviously are they're they're perfect but just to listen to a performance like that with no mm-hmm. crowd and it, it just, it's almost like a, a personal performance was and i kid you not it was quite emotional
1: mm, yeah Look, I can imagine, especially in those acoustics in there. It, must it have been was incredible.
2: stunning. Yeah, you could literally, literally yeah. feel the, the hairs on the back of your neck uh, go up. I, but.
1: The last thing I, want, I just wanted to mention is: so the uh, the trophies, the trophies for the British Open, the most prestigious um, uh, tournament on the PSA tour. When will people learn not to put trophies with caps on them? <laughs> I mean, it, every single not, year, every single year, the top falls off. Weld it, yeah, yeah. or just don't do it. It's just, I mean, you see that golf, you see it like the PGA championship is the best because the trophy, the PGA championship in golf is so freaking big and it's got a cap on it. And every year the cap falls off. And we we saw Ali Ali Farag gets handed the trophy and the first thing, the cap falls off. And then for the rest of the day, rest of the whole, all the picture taking, he's got to like have a death grip on it. So please, those people out there, otherwise. Awesome trophy ceremony, like really tight. Very few people spoke. It was uh, it was all about the players, and the players were awesome. So, besides the trophy, I give uh, I give the British Open uh, trophy ceremony thumbs up.
2: I mean, it's our Wimbledon of squash, and it's um, I I thought from start to finish, it was about as good of a presentation as we could have possibly hoped for. Agreed. The the venue, the staff, the crowd, the players, everybody rose to the occasion, and it was the first of three years and hopefully more post the three-year contract. Uh, we'll we'll wait and see, but it just, that for me, it took me back to the old days of the Wembley Conference Centre in the mid-90s. We had, I think we had about 10 years, and that was when I, as a child, would go up and watch all the greats of the game, Jahangir Khan, Jan Khan, Rodney Martin, Chris Dittmar, Susan DeVoy, Lisa Opie, Martin Lemoyne, uh, even in the age group categories, you'd have Hidi Jahan, um, Abbas Khoud, and all of the all of the legends of the game that I would go and sit there and watch. And again, it was that kind of theater setting. And it just took me back to that particular, you know, those golden years really. And this is hopefully the first of many at the, at the rep theater in, in Birmingham, because I just think I didn't hear a bad word said from anyone about the tournament.
1: And so now that leads us, uh, um, well, before, before we jump, jump ahead too much, uh, Diego Elias is number one in the world as of this morning. Um, um, thoughts on that. My first thought is I saw on Facebook this morning, Diego Elias, did he fly a private jet from England, uh, home?
2: I'm not sure. It wouldn't surprise me. I think his sponsors were there and I know that they're big hitters as okay. somebody like Elias. He, he hard. He plays hard. So I think he would have, um, he would have, he'll be certainly yeah. enjoying the fruits of, of his newly crowned world. Number one historic, uh, ranking. And, uh, yeah. it wouldn't surprise me at all.
1: So Paul call won Chicago after become number one probably full commercial uh, we, I, I know I I know that uh, Mustafa flew commercial cuz he uh, he was supposed to be on my flight and before he canceled uh, going to New York um Diego Elias uh, would you rather lose and fly private or win and fly commercial
2: Win and fly win and fly commercial all okay. day long
1: all, right. all day long I don't know if you, maybe take a look at those pictures that Diego's posting from inside the plane. This was no, this was no tiny, like little Cessna jet. This was, this was a, a private airplane. It was, it was really, really nice. So yeah. um, kudos to him, but uh, all kidding aside, historic, the first South American ever to become number one in, in the, uh, in the world. So now we have, you know, the um, Miguel Angel Rodriguez was a British open champ. And now we have Diego Elias as the number one player in the world. Um, great, great for the sport for that, that, uh, that, that uh, first South America to be represented. Yeah. Um on the world stage for sure.
2: Well, we just, but Joey briefly uh, touched this point when we were going live on air. If you think back, I think it was 50 years yesterday since Jonah Barrington, the great Jonah Barrington had won his final British open. And if you'd have said back then that in 50 years time, you're going to have a, a Peruvian world. Number one, uh, it would have literally, would have just laughed in your face because Peru, Peru wasn't even on the map. In fact, The whole region, I don't think, even had any squash courts. So the fact that you're now seeing, though, that that area being represented primarily... Elias looked up to Rodriguez when he was a junior. Um, So obviously what both of those have done for very different reasons is extremely impressive. Ali, again, touched on the point. You know, you look at your Farag's and your Assals. They've had generation after generation of players to look up to, so they understand the pathway through to the top flight level but those countries down there i mean there would be literally nobody the only player that elias probably would have played as a kid would have been his dad i mean his dad was a very right. good player many time national champion and that would have been you know probably his toughest competition for quite some time before he joined the pro tour so <laughs> what they've done in that respect is also um, testament to them and, and you know tremendous tremendous achievement
1: do they have a champions dinner at a at the british open like for ex champions they should do that like the masters and like whoever won the year before is the host and they get to choose the menu because i would go to diego ellis's master's dinner um, british open dinner with uh empanadas like the rotisserie <laughs> chicken with that spicy green sauce with sangria it'd be awesome <laughs>
2: i mean <laughs> It wouldn't be any. Uh, it would be no use of um, if it was Farag, though, because it'd all be adhering to to so there would be no food no. <laughs> until until post eight o'clock. That's actually a great idea, Bill. And there was a discussion actually at the Windy City Open last year. I was talking with one of the members there. How cool it would be if the player that won the, the tournament the year before was awarded uh, the Doctor of the Owl, like the you know the red jacket or the green jackets that the guys wear. And right. like you're doing some of the golf events, they get given obviously for the Masters is a green jacket. Yesterday, um, Fitzpatrick he won the tartan jacket, so maybe a nice little um, you know,
1: yeah, there would be a cool be- be- tradition a, right? A
2: best boat jacket that somebody can take away with them, and 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 next every time they go to the event, they have to wear that jacket. It would be really good. Yeah. Cool.
1: That would be really cool. Be um, cool. Uh, so on to um, uh, world champs coming up. Um, a lot of storylines coming into that. Obviously, on the women's side, it's going to be the, the, you know, the Can Amanda Breakthrough, uh, Gohar, sherbini El Hamami, the, the normal suspects. On the men's side, a lot of intrigue. Um, uh, Mustafa Sal returns yeah. uh, to 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 the world championship. Yeah. Um trying to reclaim his what he thinks is his rightful status as number one. We have a rejuvenated Farag. We have, obviously, the number one player in the world, Diego Elias, and um, obviously Mohamed El-Sharbagi uh, uh, lurking in the background with a lot of rest, uh, healthy, coming into that tournament. Uh, so just a, a lot of cool storylines. I don't think this could be set up any better with the results we had and with Diego being number one. I think this world championship is one of the most intriguing I've seen in a while.
2: It's probably one of the most wide open and talked about world championships for quite some time for a lot of the storylines that you've just mentioned there. If you look back at the matches at the British Open, hardly any controversy whatsoever, hardly any issues with the players, with the movements, with the exception Connor of the Diego Elias situation with, against Nathan Lake. Apart from that, nothing at all of any significance. You've also got the fact that there are a lot of pro Asal fans who feel that the fact that Elias has got to world number one is simply because uh, Elias has been banned, which isn't the case. That's yeah. uh, because Asal has been banned, sorry. It's not the case. Elias has proven himself over over the course of time. And now Asal has obviously got that pressure of proving himself to everybody that he should rightfully be the world number one. And that is gonna that will take its toll on him a little bit he's only young elias is only mm. 21 years of age and to have so so much scrutiny and and so many people closely watching how he fares at that world championships i think is is going to be an additional uh, unnecessary stress for him
1: you mean a Saul, correct for asao
2: for asao yeah, yeah. sorry no, yeah for asao no and agreed. then and then you got the, the the other guys i mean ali farag He's hit his stride now, and the confidence he'll take, he will be out of Ramadan by the time that comes around. So he'll be fully fit. El Shabagi's still in the fray, still in the mix, although I would say he's a little bit behind those top three or four at the moment. Paul Cole didn't play particularly well at the the British Open, I don't think. He's going to have to do some work leading into the world champs. So it's so open. Yeah, a lot of contenders, a
0: lot of contenders. A lot of
2: contenders, Mm -hmm. a lot of contenders. It's going to be all about who can come through those early rounds relatively unscathed and and start to peak. Trying to peak for two major events in a relatively short period of time from the British Open to the World Champs 16 days later is not easy. So it's preparation. So
1: lastly, before we we go, and PJ, um, for being shattered, you put on an awesome show. Um, I appreciate you Consummate professional, Bill.
2: Consummate professional. I do. I I can but try.
1: So uh, lastly, coming up this week, there's a um, a 30K –
2: Maybe, uh, I know, maybe not quite the, the most prestige.
1: important 30k on the calendar. The most, the most important 30k on the calendar this week for sure. Uh, it's not quite the prestige of the British Open, but uh, the uh, Connecticut, or- the Connecticut orange, <laughs> orange Ball. Orange Ball. you, you want to try again? <laughs> we'll, get, we'll edit. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we'll edit this out. The, the 2023 Connecticut. Orange Ball, uh, being held at Wild Hindi. So Wild Hindi, coming off um, a very successful British Open, which he saw his player go to number one, saw Amanda, um, another one of his players, Amanda go to the semifinals, is now hosting a 30k satellite event at his new club down in Florida. Um, and it's it's important to me for for a couple reasons. Um, number one. 88 of the top 50 players in the world will be there, including four of the people who we talk about the most on this show, Hang believe on. it or not. You... Eight of the top 50 players in the world, including Farida Mohammed, who uh, doesn't want to play for Colombia in big matches and ends up uh, in, is now number, I believe 16 in the world is the number one seed there. Um, Wantanabe, who uh, was the MVP of the Women's World Championships, much to our chagrin, even though Japan finished like 15th out of sixteenth countries.
2: Wantanabe or Watanabe?
1: Both, both, both are going. Both are going to be there, but only one of them's. Only one of them. Only one. Of the, uh, <laughs> it's going it's it's to be a rough week down in Florida for sure. Uh, thir- uh, thir- thirdly, my, my, Michael Absalom wouldn't get that wrong,
2: by the way. <laughs>
1: he definitely would not. Uh, Siva Sangari Sub romanium will be there as our number four seed. And obviously we know I've had those hurdles, but I think I've crossed that. But most importantly, as our number six seed, John will be there. So I get to meet John in person. And if she does win a match that I get to interview, I will ask her about her tweeting. So we'll, we'll get it. We'll get a good snippet off of that. So, um, it, it's, it's gonna be tough after watching Michael Absalom all week I, I like I'm in Florida at like Shakespeare in England am I gonna do like Carl Hyacen like should I like quote Carl Hyacen or th- some other famous Florida author before each match will anybody have any idea what I'm talking about do you guys have any idea what I'm talking mm-hmm. about well I, I look forward to talking with it uh with you guys about my experience next week um and just no no how is never as important as why according to Ashia.
2: That's fair enough. Just very quickly on that point, I want to give um, a big shout-out to uh, El Hindi for not only what he's doing with the players down at his club, he's obviously got a a great working formula down there, but the fact that he's putting something back into the sport, mm -hmm. he's put on this 30 30 grand event, and it's a testament to him. I know a lot of coaches, a lot of players from all over the world who would – no, have no interest basically in, in supporting the game and, and giving opportunities to other players uh, the way that he is down there so it's uh, a huge respect to him it's a great effort
0: yeah I totally agree and I can't wait to see pictures of this court um, I've only seen some but it's it's a really cool it's kind of like a black tint um, with the, the orange around it so I think the picture nice. it's gonna it's gonna probably photograph
1: one of the best on tour look forward yeah. to it all right, All right, guys. Thanks for PJ. Yeoman's effort today. I appreciate it. Don't worry. Connor, it's good to be back. Connor, it's good to be, Connor, good to be good back. to see you, man.
0: Thanks for listening to another show on SQR Squash Radio. We really do appreciate you taking the time to listen. And we have a quick ask. In an effort to help us grow, if you have a quick minute, please consider sharing an episode with a friend who might be interested or leaving a rating on any of the platforms that you listen to your podcast. It would mean a lot to me and the rest of the team. Thanks so much and have a great day.